Welcome to another Salvation by Grace midweek message. Salvation by Grace is the teaching ministry of Grace Christian Assembly, a Sovereign Grace Fellowship in Smyrna, Tennessee. Remember to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org. Now, here's our pastor and teacher, Jim McClarty. You may turn to Proverbs chapter 8. You may recall when we were doing the introduction to Proverbs that I said the book of Proverbs was broken into sections that are delineated by the superscripts. And I told you that the first nine chapters formed the first section and fall under the superscript of the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. If you take a look at the beginning of chapter 10, you will see the Proverbs of Solomon. That's the beginning of the next section. And it will carry us until chapter 22. And so tonight, we're going to look at chapters 8 and 9. And it's going to sound very, very familiar (laughs) because ever since we started studying the book of Proverbs, we've been looking at the same section, the same overriding idea, And that overriding theme has been the value of wisdom and that we need to seek wisdom, we need to search out wisdom, we need to adhere to wisdom. So we're going to see the same thing tonight, but tonight Solomon is going to personify wisdom again. We've seen him kind of do it a couple times. This time he's going to speak of wisdom as a woman and as a virtuous woman. And I think this is in contrast with what we saw at the end of chapter 7. Because at the end of chapter 7 last week, we saw talk of a harlot. We saw talk of an adulteress. And so we saw an evil woman. And he said that any man, any young boy who gave in to the evil woman was going to end up in Sheol. That's where her house ultimately led. So by contrast then, at the beginning of what we call chapter 8 we see wisdom as the virtuous woman. She's also out there making her call. She's also out there beckoning people to herself. And so now Solomon is going to tell us what the value is of listening to her, following her. And so it is the same basic theme that we've been seeing for the first several chapters, but this time a more direct personification. Chapter 9 is a short chapter in which he then refers to wisdom as she. Once he has introduced wisdom and then personified her as the virtuous woman, then he starts referring to her as she. And he's going to contrast following her with what it is to follow after folly, to follow after foolishness, And that will be the end of the entire first section of the book of Proverbs. Everybody understand what we're doing so far? Yes. Okay. Proverbs chapter 8. I could almost, and the key word here is almost, I could almost read this whole chapter without comment. It's very, very self-explanatory. If I were to say to you, wisdom is better than gold. It wouldn't take a whole lot of explanation for you to get the point. You would understand that, oh, that means wisdom is valuable. 
And so in his personification of wisdom, he's going to say essentially that. First, that she goes out and calls, and that she calls to everyone indiscriminately that wisdom is available to anybody who will take advantage of it. And that you can find it everywhere. You know, Janine and I have a habit of watching preachers, listening to sermons. I'm so glad that when she came along, it didn't change my habit of listening to sermons. I think she was just surprised to find out that I listen to all kinds of sermons. I listen to the good, I listen to the bad, and I can learn something from all of them. If we're paying attention in human life, we can learn something from just about everything we go through. Whatever circumstance you find yourself in, or even if you're talking to a foolish person, there's something to be learned there, even if the lesson is, don't be like that. Oftentimes, I'm listening to bad sermons just to learn, don't ever say that. So don't ever do that. Don't follow down that road. But you can always learn something. Well, that is how Solomon is going to personify wisdom here, that she's everywhere. Everywhere that people are, everywhere that humans gather, she's there. And she's there calling out. So if you pay attention, you can accumulate wisdom wherever you are, whatever you're going through. That's the first point he's going to make. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding lift up her voice? In other words, isn't wisdom available? Isn't understanding available? All you've got to do is pay attention. On top of the heights, beside the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Those are all places where people would be, places where people gather, on the mountaintops, on the hillsides, along the way, where the paths intersect. That's where people are going to be, where people are going to intersect. Verse 3 says, beside the gates, that would be the gates of the city, at the opening of the city, that's where the wise men used to all gather and where the judges used to gather to sit in judgment on a city. Wherever people seem to be gathering or wherever people are available, wisdom is available too. Beside the gate, at the opening of the city, at the entrance of the doors, in all those places, she cries out, To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O naive ones, discern prudence. That's an interesting translation. Prudence is also another synonym for wisdom. We've seen a few synonyms now that Solomon has used. The synonyms of Solomon. That's not as easy to say as you might think. Throw in the word aluminum and we're really in trouble. The synonyms for wisdom are only differentiated by their nuance. And prudence is one of those Words that's kind of hard to define, but essentially what it means is the ability to make good decisions, to walk through your life in a way that is clever in the best meaning of that word. Here, maybe I can explain it more by way of a quick story. Tom and I, uh, several years ago, went to meet with some musicians that we used to play with out in Los Angeles. And we had a really good time. And at one point, we sat in a circle, 
the gang of us. And we hadn't seen each other in just years and years and years and years, since the Los Angeles days. And we went around the circle, and the objective was to tell a story about something that had happened to you in the intervening 15, 18 years, whatever it had been. So everybody was telling their stories as they went around. When they came around to me and they said, tell us a story, Jim, what's happened in your life? I said, well, I think the most significant thing that has happened to me in the intervening years is that I hit my 50s and I learned for the first time in my life how to think. And they all looked at me the way you're all looking at me. They said, what do you mean you you learned to think? You were always a fairly thoughtful guy, we thought. So I explained it this way. I said, when I was young, through my high school, through my college days, through my young days traveling, and then getting married, raising my kids, everything else, life was coming at me fast. And all I was doing was reacting. It seemed like things happened to me, and I was just responding. I was dodging bullets and putting out fires. But it never seemed like I got out ahead of any of it. It was just happening to me. But then when I got into my 50s and started figuring out a few things about life, figured out why the phrase exists that it's a shame that youth is wasted on the young. See, all the older folks are, yes, yes, that's true. Because you gain knowledge, you gain wisdom as you increase in years, and you start thinking, boy, I'd love to go back again and do what I you know, have the same opportunities I had when I was young, knowing what I know now, because I would have done things so much better. But one important thing I learned in my 50s was how to get out ahead of stuff. When I was about to respond, I would pause and think, now, is this a good response? <laughs> is this really what I ought to be doing? Does this end well, or does this go bad for me? Okay, that is prudence. That's what that word means. The ability to thoughtfully move through life. Not just react to whatever's happening at the moment, but to make wise decisions about what you're doing. And it takes time to learn that. Anybody want to testify? Mm -hmm. Yes. So to you, O men, I call... And my voice is to the sons of men, and oh, naive ones, which means you that don't know much, discern, follow after, seek, figure it out, look for prudence, the ability to make wise decisions as you go through your life. And then in a parallel way, he says, oh, fools, same word, discern wisdom. And so wisdom and prudence are acting like synonyms in that sentence, even though there's nuance between the two. Verse 6, so listen, for I shall speak noble things. That means higher things, not the common everyday things. If you listen to me, I will speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will produce right things. Correct things. Now you're going to notice as Solomon continues writing how he equates 
knowledge, wisdom, righteousness, godliness. And then you're going to see on the other side foolishness and then evil and then bad behavior. So he sees those two big camps in contrast to one another. And he told us that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So the fear of God, wisdom, knowledge are all part and parcel of the same package. Whereas foolishness inevitably always leads to a failure in life, the inability to do good, and ultimately falling into rebellion against God and evil. And that's a noble thing. Listen, for I will speak a noble thing, a good thing. And the opening of my lips will produce, the opening of the lips of wisdom will produce right things, proper things. For my mouth will utter truth. And wickedness is an abomination to my lips. So wisdom speaks always true things and never wicked things. So then you can trust her. You can listen to wisdom. You can rest your life on wisdom. There is nothing crooked or perverted in the words of wisdom. Verse 9, they are all straightforward. In other words, they don't have to veer off to the right or the left, and they're always trustworthy, right? Straight down the middle. They're all straightforward to him who understands. I think that's a really interesting phrase because it says that they're right, the words of wisdom are right to those who find knowledge. So if you find knowledge, if you are wise, then you're going to recognize that the words of wisdom are correct. And so it's almost like a continuous circle. Wisdom, knowledge, prudence will lead you to understand the value of wisdom and knowledge and prudence. All the words of knowledge are straightforward to him who understands, and they are right. They're correct to those who find knowledge. So take my instruction and not silver and take knowledge rather than the choicest gold. That's what I began by saying. If I had just said to you knowledge is better than gold, you'd understand what I was saying. Solomon is saying here it's fine. It's good to have silver. It's fine to have gold. He has said that earlier. That if you have the riches of this world, then fine, good. But if you don't have them with wisdom, you're just going to lose them. You're just going to spend them on bad things. You're just going to do damage with them. So it's best to have what this world can offer you and wisdom. And if you can't have the gold or silver, it's good to have the wisdom. Because the wisdom is more likely, in Solomon's thinking, to get you the gold and silver. But the gold and silver isn't going to get you the wisdom. Plenty of people have had gold and silver in their life that are foolish. And he mentions them and says, and they lose it all. So take my instruction and not silver and knowledge. Take that rather than the choicest gold. In other words, if you have the option, if you have the choice, if somebody says, do you want wisdom and knowledge or do you want stuff? Choose wisdom and knowledge. 
Now Solomon knows what he's talking about here because he's the very one who God said, ask me anything and I'll give it to you. And he could have at that moment asked for endless riches. God would have given it to him. It's the word of God. I'll give you whatever you ask for. But what he asked for, knowing that he was going to be the king of Israel, what he asked for was wisdom. He wanted good prudence. He wanted to be a good king to Israel. And because he chose wisdom, God said, because you chose that and didn't choose something for yourself, oh, I'm going to make you crazy rich. I'm going to give you all kinds of stuff because you wanted wisdom. So his own experience would lead to this instruction, which is take my instruction rather than taking silver. Take knowledge rather than the choicest gold, for wisdom is better than jewels. And all desirable things cannot compare with her, with wisdom. I, first person speaking, female wisdom, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. So she said she's part of prudence, she's part of knowledge, she's part of discretion. Discretion and prudence are very similar to each other. It's making good choices, deciding between what's right, what's wrong, walking through your life in a way that exhibits wisdom, that exhibits knowledge. And notice that she said, I dwell with them. If you have any one of them, you kind of have all of them. If you're a wise person, then you're going to live in a prudent way. And you're going to make wise decisions. You're going to show discretion. You're going to have knowledge. If you don't have all of these, you could end up with none of these. I don't know any wise people who are also prudent. I don't know any people who show good discretion who have no knowledge. But if you have any one of them, you end up with all of them. I dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge, and I find discretion. And here it comes again, verse 13, and the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Hate evil. That idea, that concept, carries over into the New Testament as well. I hate to keep being referential to my wife here, but I have to, again, this is a conversation that she and I have been having for a while now, which is that people seem to have become comfortable with their sin, especially in sovereign grace circles where you say, well, Jesus paid for everything. He died for my sin. It's all under the blood. And so even the things that we know are sin Sometimes we'll think, well, you know, it's not a big sin. At least I'm not Hitler, or at least I'm not that evil. And so my little sins don't matter that much. People don't seem to hate their sin. They're tolerant of their sin. They excuse their sin. Sometimes they say their sin is not really sin. And so that lack of hatred is not wise. That lack of really fighting against your sin and really hating your sin, well, here it says that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. If there's evil in your life, if there's evil in the world, whatever is evil, whatever has been designated evil, you're supposed to hate it because God hates it. 
God hates sin. And then we say we have the spirit of God within us, but we're better than God. We, don't, we, we can deal with sin. We can tolerate sin. Our sin's not that sinful. But the fear of the Lord, the wisdom to know to reverence God, is to also hate that which is evil. And then immediately he lists a couple of things that fall into the evil category. And you've heard me say it over and over again through the years. In fact, I'm going to ask you once again, and you'll all know what the answer is. What is the one sin that's spoken of more frequently in the Bible than any other sin? Vanity, pride, arrogance. It's right where Solomon goes. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance, and the evil way. He could have just said, and the evil way. But he didn't. He included pride and arrogance. Being lifted up, thinking too much of yourself. Thinking that you're the important one. Thinking that human history began with you. Thinking that you are the reason that God is busy doing everything. That kind of pride, that kind of vanity, that kind of, do you know who you're talking to? Right here it says, is evil. And you're supposed to hate that. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverted mouth. I hate. Now, of course, in this sort of secularized world in which we live, where we're very conscious of hate speech, where people are running around pointing at anything they disagree with or that they don't like or that rubs them the wrong way, and they say, you can't say that. That's hate speech. And, of course, love conquers all. Love is the cure for everything. And don't hate. And don't be a hater. And you're not supposed to hate. Well, Solomon says right here that wisdom hates things. Part of wisdom is to know what to love and what to hate. And there are things that you would be wise to hate because the fear of the Lord is to hate evil and pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth. What does that mean? That means the mouth that says perverse things. The mouth that says anti-God things. It's so much more than just a mouth that tells dirty jokes. Or a mouth that uses curse words. It's to say things that are genuinely perverse. Like, I love the things God hates. And again, in this modern society, people would go, oh, you're so very loving. Thank you very much. Oh, you love those things. Good for you. But in fact, you're loving perverse things, and that becomes a perverted mouth. And God hates a perverted mouth, a mouth that tells lies, a mouth that bears false witness, a mouth that is willing to justify oneself and say that their sin is not really all that sinful and that they don't really mean to hate their sin that much. That's all perverted mouth. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance, and the evil way, 
and the perverted mouth, I hate. But counsel is mine and sound wisdom, which means I can give advice to people. This is wisdom speaking. I can advise people. I can counsel people. I can tell them the right way to go in life because I have not just wisdom, but sound wisdom, whole, healthy, pure wisdom. And so as a consequence, I can tell people the better way to live. That's wisdom speaking, not me. Counsel is mine and wisdom, and I am understanding. That's the very essence of what wisdom is. One of the personifications of wisdom is that it's understanding, it's comprehension. It's being able to look at the things of this world and the things of this life and make sense out of it and utilize prudence in order to walk in the proper way and to know what to love and what to hate. At the end of that verse, it says, I am understanding power is mine, says the NASB, the Hebrew word can also be translated, valor is mine. In other words, bravery and the strength to do what is right. So wisdom also leads to the prudence to be able to tell what's right and what's wrong, but it also is the bravery, the valor to do the right. That's wisdom. Which makes sense. If you hate the evil, then you're going to bravely do the correct thing. By me, kings reign. We can assume from that that he means good kings reign wisely through wisdom. By me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who judge rightly. So that's Solomon's way of saying, I'm not talking about every prince and every noble. I'm not talking about every king. But the kings and the judges and the nobles who do it correctly, the princes who love righteousness and judge rightly, they're doing it by wisdom. They're demonstrating that they're wise. And then wisdom says words that sound very much like God speaking. And so here again you see Solomon combining these ideas of Wisdom and righteousness and godliness. And now wisdom says, I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me will find me. So let's just keep it in the wisdom category for just a moment. Here's wisdom who at the beginning of this chapter is on every hill and every cross street Every gate of every city, wisdom is available, available, available. She's crying out to human beings, I'm right here, I'm available, all you got to do is pay attention. And now here's wisdom saying, and I will be found by those who look for me, but not just look for me casually, I will be found by those who diligently look for me. At the beginning of Tonight's sermon, half an hour ago, I said, you can learn from every circumstance you're in. You can learn from every person that crosses your path. You can learn how to, and you can learn how not to. And if you have that mindset of looking for information, knowledge, 
prudence, wisdom, decision-making. If you've got that mindset, if that's your, for lack of a better world, world view, did I just say for lack of a better world? Yeah. Yeah. For lack of a better word, if that's your world view, then everywhere you go, you're going to gain something. You're going to understand something. Your life is going to become enriched as you discover more and more knowledge and then you understand how to deal with people and what your place is in the world and how to deal with God because you're seeking diligently. You're looking for opportunities. You're looking for information. You're looking for the wisdom that's coming your way because it's there. It's always there. It's always coming at you. And it seems like most of the world is asleep, just sort of permanently on hold. There's all this stuff coming at you that can teach you things. For instance, let's say that you were going to try to counsel and comfort somebody who's going through a really bad time. Well, how are you going to know what to say? How are you going to know what to do? The only way you're going to know that is if you've been through it before. Either yourself or you've watched somebody else go through it or you've listened to somebody else talk about it. Because as you've gone through this life, you've collected information about it. And then you've reached the point where you realize that you yourself could be a help to somebody else in that situation. And how are you able to be a help to them? Well, because through your life, as these various things have happened to you, you've gathered that knowledge, that wisdom. I know that I used to tell people who were going through struggles, going through troubles, going through pain, I would tell them the very thing we've been reading out of Romans 8 lately. I would say something to them like, well, you know, God is in everything. He's working all things together for good to those who love God, you know, according to his purpose. Stupidest thing I could have said. People who were hurting, people who were in pain, people who were struggling. The last thing they need at that exact moment is heavy theology to tell them that their pain and their hurt doesn't comport with the biblical principle that all things work together for good. I wasn't paying attention to them. I was just theologizing all over them, and it did them no good whatsoever. Recently, well, let's say the last several years, I've understood that sometimes when people are really hurting, really in pain, really having a tough time, the best thing you can do is be there. Just be there for them. You don't have to say anything. The fact that you're there, the fact that you're willing to hold them while they cry, the fact that you're willing to say, I'm your friend through all this. Just pour all your junk on me. I can take it. I'll hold you up through this rough time. Okay, how did I gain that? Gee, that's, that seems like some good wisdom. Everybody in the room was kind of going, hey, now that's some good advice right there, Jim. How did I gain that? By the things I experienced, by the things I went through. And if I had been tone deaf, if I had been unconscious in those days that I thought I was right to just theologize over hurting people, I would have never learned the lesson that I was actually hurting them more and that the way to get them through it was to make sure that they knew the theology of a sovereign God before the trouble came, but then when the trouble comes, to be able to just hold them. 
Where did I get that wisdom? I paid attention. And you got to pay attention in life. And that's what Solomon is saying here. As you're walking through your life, there's all these opportunities coming at you all the time every day where you can gain information that is going to be valuable to you in the way you conduct your life, in the way you live your life, and in the way that you interact with other people so that you can be a help, you can be a value, you can be a counselor to other people because wisdom says, I have good counsel. And so if you gain wisdom, you can counsel people. You can help people. Those who diligently seek me will find me. Riches and honor are with me. And enduring wealth and, look at that next word, and righteousness. So once again, Solomon is tying together wisdom and righteousness. He doesn't separate the idea of wisdom, prudence, knowledge from the concept of godliness. Because as you collect wisdom, knowledge, and prudence in this life, that wisdom will lead you to, oh yeah, God. I had a pastor many, many years say, the Bible will lead you either to God or to questions that only God could answer. I would expand on what he said. And say, life leads you to that. Life either leads you by its circumstances, by its wisdom, by its knowledge. Life leads you either to God or to the point where you're having questions that really only God could answer. Wise life. Discerning life. Life that is full of prudence and wisdom will lead you ultimately to righteousness because the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Yes. Oh, you are here. Okay, I'm sorry. I had that moment where I thought, I'm alone again. I'm... So then notice that riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness is with me. So I said a little while ago, where are you going to start? You can start with pursuing the silver and gold, but that won't get you wisdom. But if you pursue the wisdom, that's more likely to lead you to the enduring wealth. Somebody said, a fool and his money are soon separated, soon parted. And that is a fact. But a wise person has the enduring, the ongoing wealth because he knows how to handle money. My fruit, says wisdom, is better than gold, even pure gold. And my yield is better than the choicest of silver. I walk in the way of righteousness. There's that connection again. I walk in the way of righteousness and in the midst of the paths of justice. Justice, righteousness then, are dependent on wisdom because wisdom starts at the fear of God. So if you reverence God, if you have a proper attitude toward God in this life, That is because you have wisdom, because you've become prudent, because you have proper understanding. And as a consequence, you're going to walk in the way of righteousness. And you're going to walk in the midst of the paths of proper justice, which is what prudence is all about, making proper decisions between right and wrong. 
And I do that. I walk in the paths of righteousness and in the midst of the paths of justice to endow to those who love me, those who love wisdom, I endow them with wealth that I may fill their treasuries. Jesus one time said, um, what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? He says, that, that's what the, the people of this world look after. But he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Well, same idea here. Seek ye first wisdom, which is based in righteousness and the fear of God. Seek that first, and then whatever you need is going to come your way. This life is going to take care of itself, and wisdom itself will endow those who love her with wealth. So that you will possess, so that you will have whatever you need. And then starting at verse 22, Solomon says that wisdom, in this personification of wisdom, that wisdom was actually with God, almost like a separate entity. God was doing things, and wisdom was standing off to the side, and wisdom is saying, I was there at the very beginning when God created stuff. He created them through me, through wisdom, which, by the way, is a truism. Science to this very day is constantly looking into the way that the entire universe works. The only reason that science works is because there are definite rules that are built into the way things work, which shows both creator and wisdom. The reason that we can count on certain things always being the same way is because those things were made to always work that way. When you get up in the morning and you throw your feet out of bed, you don't expect for your feet to end up on the ceiling. You expect gravity to work. Why? Not only because it always has, but because there's a certain stability to it because God created that way, and he didn't create it that way haphazardly. He created that way with wisdom so that your feet would not hit the ceiling. You get what I'm saying? There's wisdom to it. Here, turn back to the Psalms for a minute, because I think Solomon got some of this right from his father David. That's certainly the way that his father David spoke of the creation. Psalm 19, we'll just read the first couple of verses. The creation, according to David, speaks of the wisdom of God. It shows that there was a plan, that there was wisdom happening. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. They're speaking it. They're saying the glory of God. And the expanse of the heavens is declaring the work of his hands. In other words, the very fact that you can walk outside and you can look up and you see the stars and the planets and the heavens, the very fact that that exists is communicating to you that there is a wisdom behind it, that there is a plan at work. And that plan is God's plan. God's own hands, God's own creative ability, God's own intention to do whatever he wants to do is declared loudly, spoken loudly up in the heavens. We see that same idea carried into the book of Romans. That because the heavens exist and because they declare the righteousness of God, that's enough to hold everybody on the planet guilty because all they have to do is go out and look up and you can see that God exists. 
The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands, and day after day pours forth speech. In other words, it's communicating. If you get up Friday and then you get up Saturday, the very fact that it became Saturday and it's not Friday anymore, and the sun came up again which you had nothing to do with, you had no power over, you had no control over, and yet it happens again, he says, it's talking to you. It's telling you things. It's telling you the creativity, the continuity, and the wisdom of God. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals, look at the next word, knowledge, wisdom. The very fact that those exist Declare the wisdom of God. Because, as I said, God did not create haphazardly. He did not take a bunch of marbles and just throw them out into space and say, wherever they land, that's where they lay. You know, just He put everything in place on purpose. Scientists continue to, to look at our Milky Way galaxy, and it's astounding. They're just discovering on a constant basis how the number of planets in our solar system runs in perfect balance to create the environment that we have here on planet Earth for mankind. Well, that shows wisdom. The very fact that the moon and the gravitational pull of the moon affects the way water reacts on the planet and that the tides are in sync with the moon, well, that just shows wisdom. Somebody planned that. You didn't plan it, but it works. Why does it work? Because it was wise to begin with. It had knowledge to begin with. When you see day to day, when you see night to night, that's revealing knowledge. And verse 3, there is no speech, nor are there words. In other words, there's no place where human beings are, where human beings are talking to each other. Any place you find speech, that's where you'll hear their voice. So wherever there's people on the planet, the voice of the creation is speaking. And what's it speaking? It's speaking the wisdom of God. It's demonstrating the knowledge of God. It's showing that this is not a random creation, but that it comports completely with the wisdom of God. Their line is gone out through all of the earth. Their utterances have gone out to the very ends of the earth. In them, in the heavens, he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man, and then it runs its course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit, its circle, is all the way to the other end of them, and there's nothing hidden from the heat of the sun. So go back to the book of Proverbs, because now you'll see where Solomon is getting that idea. Obviously, his father believed that. His father demonstrated it to him, so now he's personifying wisdom and having wisdom say, I was there from the beginning, because what God created in the beginning, he created by wisdom. He created by thought, by knowledge, by prudence. Everything God did was intentional. Because I was there. Verse 22, the Lord possessed me, wisdom, at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. 
From everlasting, I was established. From the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. In other words, before there was any topography on the planet, I existed. When there were no springs that were abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. And while he had not yet made the earth or its fields, nor the fine dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, and when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set the sea on its boundary, so that the water could not transgress his command, when he marked out the very foundations of the earth, then was I beside him as a master workman, and I daily was his delight, rejoicing always before him. Okay, so what is Solomon really getting at? He's getting at what I've been going on and on about, that God, when he created, created by wisdom. He didn't create randomly. He created on purpose. But now he's saying here that God rejoiced in the wisdom of what God did, which is why you can go back to the book of Genesis and see that God made things. He spoke things. They came into existence. And when he created, he saw that it was very good. And then we read some more. Well, then he created some animals and created some trees and some shrubbery. And he saw that it was very good. In other words, God likes what God does. And God does what God likes. And he celebrates in his own wisdom in making whatever he makes. Which is why God does everything according to his own good pleasure. He's pleased with what he does. And he was pleased with the wisdom that he does it with. So daily I was his delight. I was rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the world, in his earth, and having my delight in the sons of men. Now therefore, verse 32, now therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. One more time, combining that idea of wisdom, fear of God, righteousness. Now, if you are wise and you have the fear of God and you're walking in righteousness, you are blessed. Spiritually prosperous. Now, therefore, O sons, listen to me, for blessed are they who keep my ways. Heed instruction and be wise. And do not neglect it, the instruction. Don't neglect instruction. Blessed, spiritually prosperous, is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts. For he who finds me finds life. And he obtains favor, grace, goodness from the Lord. So, okay, if you know that that is all true, if you know that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, if you know that you're going to prosper in this lifetime if you gain knowledge and that you know 
how to interact with other human beings. You know how to give other people good counsel. If you know that knowledge was part of God, was with God in the creation of absolutely everything, and that God was pleased with his own wisdom as he accomplished the things that he accomplished, well, then blessed is the man who pays attention to that. Blessed is the man who listens to me. How are you going to gain the wisdom of God? Right here, right in this word. As you read the word of God, as you pay attention to the word of God, you're going to daily gain wisdom that leads to godliness, that leads to righteousness. Do you see that it's just all combined? It's just this one great big package. It's all, yes, you're going to gain wisdom. You're going to gain worldly wisdom, but the beginning of actual wisdom is the fear of God. And if you have the fear of God, then you're going to walk in righteousness. If you walk in righteousness, then you're going to be prudent. You're going to be wise. God's going to take care of you and provide you things. And blessed are you if you listen to these things. So it's something that just kind of feeds on itself as you go through this life, gaining godly wisdom, living a godly type life, walking in the paths of righteousness, then indeed you are a blessed person. And blessed is the person who listens to wisdom, who watches daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts, because he who finds me, this is the summation of all of it, finds life. You got it? It's all about real life and even eternal life. And even the grace of God that leads to eternal life is all wrapped up in wisdom. The wisdom of God. The wisdom to know enough to be reverent of God. And to conduct your life in a way that is appropriate for your profession to God. He who finds me finds life. And obtains favor from the Lord. But, verse 36... But he who sins against me, and that word sins can alternately be rendered as he who ignores me, goes his own way, he actually injures himself. And all those that hate me, all those that hate wisdom, love death. So wisdom leads to life, foolishness, self-centeredness, pride, arrogance, I'll go my own way, I'll ignore wisdom, leads to death. And by the way, that works every time it's tried. Every time. It's, it's the truth of God. Now, as I said, chapter 9 is a short chapter. If you have somewhere to be and you dash out the door, we won't make fun of you much. But... <laughs> But chapter 9 is very quick, and it closes this whole section, so I, I don't think I could start next week by closing the previous section. So just stick with me, because in this short chapter, he's now going to contrast wisdom and folly. He's already said, pursue wisdom with all you've got. Now he's going to talk about what it is to be foolish. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. You can read all kinds of commentaries about what the seven pillars indicate. I think it just indicates that it's a big house. She has hewn out her seven pillars and she has prepared her food and she has mixed her wine and she has set her table. She has sent out her maidens and she calls from the tops of the heights of the city. Whoever is naive, let him turn in 
here. In other words, wisdom has set the table and prepared the house and it's ready. Everything's ready. And I think that's all a contrast to what we read in chapter 7 where the adulterous woman was going out. Her house was prepared. Her table was prepared. And she was enticing people to come into her. But the virtuous woman, the wisdom woman, has also prepared her house, has also prepared her food, has also set her table, and she sends out her maidens calling to the whole city, whoever needs wisdom, whoever is naive, come in here. To him that lacks understanding, she says, come, eat of my food, and drink of the wine that I have mixed. Forsake your foolishness, your folly, and live. Because wisdom leads to life, Foolishness leads to death. Forsake your folly and live. And proceed in the way of understanding. He who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself. And he who reproves wicked men gets insults for himself. That's just basic reality. A scoffer, somebody who hates the things of God, have you ever attempted to correct one of them? You ever attempted to tell them how wrong they are? All you're going to get for that is dishonor and insults, and they're going to bark back at you. And wisdom knows that. Wisdom understands that the one who corrects somebody who has set himself against God is going to get insults thrown in his face. He who reproves wicked men gets insults for himself. So do not reprove a scoffer because he's just going to hate you. But I think the reason for all of that, while you're busy cogitating in your head and saying, but wait, aren't we supposed to reprove people? But wait, aren't, aren't we supposed to correct people who have set themselves at enmity with God? Aren't we supposed to? The reason for each of those statements is so that you can hear the contrast, which is when you reprove a wise man, he'll love you. Wisdom wants knowledge. Wisdom wants to know when he's wrong. Wisdom wants to be reproved. Wisdom wants to be instructed. Wisdom wants to be corrected. Wisdom is looking forward to the opportunity to learn something else. So if you try to correct a scoffer, if you try to reprove a wicked person, all you're going to get is insults. But if you reprove a wise man, he's going to love you for it. I can think of many people in my own life who have at various different times reproved me for various different things. And you know what? I think I've respected and loved them all, ultimately. I didn't like it at the moment. But they were right. They were correct. And had they not been brave enough to reprove me, I would never have come to the knowledge of my own shortfallings or the way that I was coming across to people. It took somebody being brave enough to confront me and say, you know, when you do that, you're hurting people. And I ultimately respected them for being brave enough to come tell me that. Wisdom loves to be reproved. Give instruction to a wise man, says verse 9, and he'll be wiser still. That's right. The wise person will learn from his mistakes. You teach a righteous man, and he will increase in his learning. And then once again, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is the beginning 
of understanding. So if you're going to be a wise man, if you're going to be a prudent man, if you're going to be somebody who is enjoying the collection of information and knowledge, and if you recognize yourself as a wise man who becomes wiser still when he's instructed and when he's corrected, then it all stems from, it all has its root in the fact that you love God, God loves you, you have the appropriate respect, the appropriate fear and reverence of God. That's where wisdom starts. And knowledge of the Holy One, that's the beginning of understanding. Verse 11, for by me, says wisdom, your days will be multiplied and the years of your life will be added to you. If you are wise, you were wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you alone then will bear it. All that essentially means is, in the end, when it all wraps up, at the end of your life, whether you're wise or whether you're a fool, that's on you. In the end, you don't get to point. You don't get to pull an atom. You don't get to go, well, you know, the woman you gave me, she's the one who made me do what I did. You don't get to blame anybody. You don't get to blame God. You don't get to blame the person who didn't tell you. you don't. In the end, if you're a wise person, that's on you. And if you're a fool, that's on you. So that, again, is an enticement to chase after wisdom and the fear of the Lord. If you are wise, then you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, if you deny God, if, you, if you're a cynic, then you alone are going to bear it. The woman of foolishness, in contrast to the virtuous woman of wisdom, the woman of folly is boisterous. In other words, she's loud, she's full of herself, but she's naive, and she knows nothing. And she sits at the doorway of her house. Does that sound familiar? We just saw that two chapters ago, that the adulteress sits in the door of her house enticing people to come to her. She sits at the doorway of her house on the seat by the high places of the city, calling to those who pass by who are making their paths straight, the people who are trying to walk correctly. And whoever is naive, she says, let them turn in here. Come to me if you're foolish. And to him who lacks understanding, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. A couple of chapters ago, we saw that drinking from your own well, drinking from your own spring, was likened to being sexually pure, your own wife at home. That was the idea. I think that's the same idea here. Stolen water, sweet. So she's trying to entice people who were walking uprightly in their lifetime. She's trying to say, stealing bread or eating bread in secret, stolen water, that's all sweet. That's an enticement to do evil. But he does not know that the dead are in there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol, which is the exact same way that chapter 7 ended. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending into the chambers of death. And that is the end of chapter 9. Next week, we'll pick up at chapter 10, which is the Proverbs of Solomon, which begins with, a wise son makes his father glad. So we'll start there.
All right, did you get something out of tonight? I just wanted to finish up that section. If you get nothing else out of it, just recognize that the combination of fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom, walking through this life in a wise, God-fearing way, leads to paths of righteousness. And as you walk down those paths of righteousness, you're always looking for ways to collect knowledge, information about God, which is found in his word, but also in this lifetime. As you look up into the heavens and the creation and everything else, they're all speaking to you about the wisdom and the creativity of God. And if you're paying attention, you're learning something from all of that. And in this lifetime, you're going to be reproved. In this lifetime, you're going to be corrected. You're going to be instructed. And if you're wise, you'll learn something from it. You'll grow from it. It'll be a good thing for you. If you're a scoffer, then you're going to reject the wise folk who try to speak into your life. So be smart. Listen to wise people. Listen to the counsel and the word of God. And walk in the paths of righteousness. And I think that's what Solomon's getting at. Good advice. Questions? Yes, sir. I have to assume that it's talking about godly wisdom because in the New Testament it talks about wisdom of the world as opposed to God. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in fact, it says, uh, and the world, by worldly wisdom, knew not God. So there is a wisdom of the world, but that's different than the wisdom of God. Yes. You see, you see in all the cultures around the world, being made in the image of God, you see gems of wisdom in all cultures. Yeah. When you hear people quoting, you know, a deist like Ben Franklin or Confucius, you know, yeah. Confucius, who have lots of wisdom in their sayings, but you know, it's a kind of a something they've ascertained through the world yeah. that he's given us, life oh. itself. And that definitely not leading to salvation, but no, right? It's not leading to salvation, but it's leading to the wisdom to know how to conduct life. Yeah. But I think that's also why we're told to be discerning, to be wise, is because not all the wisdom is wisdom that's leading to a good place. The world has plenty of wisdom that it will throw at you that is of no actual eternal value. So you have to be discerning to know what's the good stuff and what's not. But that's not an excuse to go through your life not paying attention to anything. You know, you can't just trot through life paying attention to nothing. Your eyes have to be open. Your mind has to be open to whatever God is out there putting in front of you because it's all there by God's decree for your benefit, for your good, so that you can learn from it. Is that what you were getting at? Anything else? All right, good. Say goodbye then to the Internet congregation. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this week's Salvation by Grace message. We welcome your feedback and encourage you to visit our website at salvationbygrace.org. And we invite you to join us next time when we gather around the Word and study the sovereign grace of God.